Hey guys, Max here. Um, this is kind of an episode of the Bus Lab, kind of isn't. This is going to be uh, basically a short story that I, I have written over the last year or so. Um, if you are not aware that I am a writer, I am an avid writer. I write almost every day, and I've been in a uh, the vein of horror for probably about three years now. Um, the story I'm going to be reading today is from a compilation of short stories that I've been working on um, in a book that I will eventually title Ashes to Infinity. They are horror stories. Um, they're pretty scary. They're kind of in the same vein of like Black Mirror. If you, if you like Black Mirror on Netflix, um, they kind of have a lot of symbolism that you would read in like Stephen King. Um, a lot of nods to my favorite type of horror films and horror uh, short stories and novels. Um, and this one is called The Resident, and uh, it's based on somebody that I named Dorian Glass. And Dorian Glass is, to me, uh, the the mirror of David Bowie. I'm a huge David Bowie fan, and I base this character off of David Bowie um, in, in regards to maybe what, what, what David Bowie's life would have been if he never got clean and sober. So I envision basically... David Bowie passed his prime, um, and he eventually gets recruited as a resident singer at a very strange old folks home. And as part of this deal, he's also responsible to sing and partake in ceremonies for this huge conglomerate that recruited him, um, occult activities. They obviously have some weird agenda. A lot of, a lot of heavy, uh, occult symbolism is present. Um, Dorian Glass is basically the past is prime, super prideful, deluded, typical, type of musician in that post-drug use existentialist phase of his uh, dead music career um, while he is essentially and simultaneously voluntarily enslaved into uh, what would appear to be some type of cult. Dorian Glass has been a lot of fun to work on. Um, I've layered him into other short stories that I've written. I keep everything in short story form for the most part. It's just easier that way. Um, but yeah, this is my first time narrating my own short story and I'm just going to roll right into this thing. Today's story, The Resident, From Ashes to Infinity, Book One, by Max Brosmer. Sorry, Mr. Glass, there's no smoking in here, but Dorian interjects. I understand your concern, but there is no other way I'm going to be relaxed enough to get through this with you if I cannot have my cigarettes. Doing his best to ignore the hot exhalation of smoke, Martin mildly replied, Well, very well then. I must say, though, it is a pleasure taking a direct statement from someone as well known as the Dorian Glass. My father, a huge fan of yours, I remember when I was in grade school, as Martin is cut off by Dorian's bellow, I am not here to reminisce on your childhood, Mr. Sims. I am here out of my existentialist obligation. I could give two shits about your father's fandom. I would have written this damn statement had it not been for this goddamn Parkinson's, but instead I have to sit here shaking like a leaf fighting to give you my story. I would have probably waited a few more years to come to this godforsaken place had I not been diagnosed with Alzheimer's a few months back. I'm here out of fear and obligation with a dash of guilt. So, before I'm due for my next round of medication, may I begin? Martin sat there blank-faced in absolute understanding of Dorian Glass. Whenever you're ready, Mr. Glass, you may begin. And after a long inhale of a cigarette, Dorian began. I was never good with my money, Mr. Sims, but I never had to be with how much I was making. 
My music career was my life. On royalties alone, I could have retired to a private island and put all seven of my children through college, given them advantages and privileges that would have lasted generations. Instead, I liquefied hundreds of millions of dollars on every pill, powder, and illicit substance I could shoot, snort, smoke, or imbibe until my money was simply gone. After my third divorce, any savings or residual royalty was spread between four families, leaving me penniless in the name of child and spousal support. My reputation was as professionally tarnished as much as it was personally. My criminal record is ghastly. I had no recourse, no options, and no resources. Not to get too long-winded, I just felt it appropriate for you to fully grasp the desperation in my heart that led me to choices, these choices that will forever haunt me from this world to the next. I got sober. God, I hate being sober. Being an emotional human is awful. Don't you agree? Having the ability to force your body into a euphoric state via drug-induced pathways is, well, something I will never fully justify abandoning. I was floating between Manchester and Liverpool for some time, living off and preying on distant memories of fans and locals I could exploit with horseshit sob stories to con them out of money. Even my childhood friends in the area fell victim to my charm, which was hardly enough to keep me fed and half-decent for more than a day at a time. It was not until I was floating around the Apollo Theater in the neighborhood of the University of Manchester that I was approached by a man. Him. I recognized his cigarette smell from a half block away as he approached. He offered me one before I could ask. Mr. Lubbock was this grisly but well-put-together representative of Placeris, the company who he worked and recruited for. Within five minutes, we were having coffee, his treat, of course, and exchanging stories about a tour. I was on 25 years ago that he and his friends followed for three straight months. As my high dwindled, so did my tolerance to entertain this man's increasingly annoying fandom. Before I could leave, we both took a mutual gulp of our coffees and Mr. Lubbock's demeanor took a significant turn. The color in his face changed. The ever so light crow's feet I noticed before became much more prominent. His hairline suddenly seemed far weaker and his breath became instantly noticeable. It made me think of like when you open an old cabinet or drawer, but more sharply accented with hints of rot. He instructed me on an offer he was there to present me with from Golden Acres Retirement Community. They were looking for a resident entertainer, and since it had been recently purchased, they had also set aside a new budget to indulge a bit on newer amenities and other luxuries. They wanted me. This offer had no monetary description or compensation package, but the allure of this position had instantly erased any concern I had towards Mr. Lubbock. I voiced a question as I was reading, looked up when I got no response, and realized I was now sitting alone. Mr. Lubbock was nowhere in sight, even though I still smelled that faint rot. There was an address, a brief description, and a start date with a wet signature signed in a dark maroonish red ink. The printed name above the signature was Harlow Buchanan. I was unsure if this Harlow was male or female. I deliberated for about 15 minutes and figured I would need to panhandle about $75 to pay for the trip to Golden Acres in three days as my official or unofficial start date reflected. I had nothing at this point, and I was already making mental plans on how I would be spending my first paycheck. I got the money fairly quickly, and with the help of a pair of kind librarians, I was able to do some internet research on my new employer. Golden Acres is an exclusive high-end old folks home on Merced Island, East Merced Island to be exact. You are not getting into this place if your net worth or previous career were not to their standards. Based on their website videos, 
They seem like high and mighty pricks, to be honest, but why the hell would I care? I'm the last person on the face of this rock to come close to judging others. Their contact information was very well accessible, even with a few reviews from the sons and daughters whose parents live in Golden Acres. Admittedly, I was relieved and filled with some assurance of this opportunity, despite the lingering apprehension regarding my experience with Mr. Lubbock. I arrived at Golden Acres on April 14th at 8 a.m., which I assumed was a fair time to report on my first day, as my paperwork didn't give me many specifics. This place was very much tucked away, with virtually zero neighboring businesses within at least a five-mile radius. I was instantly captivated at the lush and well-maintained landscaping that snaked its way through vast open courtyards with open, long, arching hallways. It almost had a bit of a futuristic element to it. Some of the shrubbery was so rigidly and evenly cut, I presumed it may have been plastic or fake. I could see a primary building about 40 yards in front of me, tucked between two massive white pillars with a few lingering individuals. I was overcome with a massive wave of self-awareness, worried that my most recent walk of life was all too apparent. Before I could even get a decent look at the office, two dozen people in khaki uniforms instantly surrounded me. Nobody spoke a word to me. They just all maintained that same half-cocked grin for about 15 seconds before erupting into one collective group clap. I tried to play off the awkwardness and turned on what little celebrity persona I had left in me as I greeted the employees smiling ear to ear. People were giving me hugs and taking pictures until Harlow Buchanan, the director of Golden Acres, finally greeted me. The staff quickly dispersed, leaving Harlow and I alone to speak of my position as their new resident entertainer. Soft-spoken Harlow was very clear in her wording about my new day-to-day expectations. I had my own flat on site, access to a gym in the kitchen, and I could leave Golden Acres as needed in and around my performances. I was set to perform my classics among other artists, which I was not particularly fond of. But before I could even voice my refusal to perform other artists' music, Harlow handed me my first bi-weekly paycheck. The check was for 7,000 pounds, plus a form for me to fill out for full medical benefits and a paper-clipped contract regarding the legal jargon of our agreement. I was speechless and overwhelmed and suddenly didn't care what this place wanted me to do. Come to learn a check for 7 million pounds wouldn't be enough to do what these people had really lured me in to do. My first show was the following day. Uh, a very basic set list of my own original music. Uh, I was told I would have a band that I could recruit eventually, but for now we were just running off instrumentals. The amphitheater we were in was beautiful and projected a sound during my rehearsal that I had never heard before. The cleanest ring, the cleanest acoustics I have ever heard. The painted decorative walls told a story I could not quite understand. Dimly lit by maroon-colored bulbs, but still bright enough to even see the 2,500 guests in attendance. I hadn't performed in years and had just enough dope in my bloodstream to captivate the crowd, earning roaring applause after each song. The adrenaline rush from performing, I believe, is why so many of us turn to drugs to recapture and maintain how it feels to be surrounded by people exuding that type of adoration for you. The show passed, as did the following month, with shows five days a week, keeping my ego topped off, and I finally had money in the bank to support my habits and lifestyle for the off-season. I very rarely saw Harlow, but I did see the other management and resident activity nonstop all day. I saw them during mealtimes and in their fitness classes, as well as group gardening and worship. I was so naive. The signs were all there, and reflecting today, I can see how methodical these people were. Hindsight is 2020, and I feel so guilty for what I did not realize. 
they must have kept tabs on me and interacted with me on the streets to know how really down and out I was. And it did not take much for them to pull the veil over my eyes once I was cashing their checks. Their agenda was made very clear the following week. Deathly clear. I honestly do not think an hour has gone by since the first ceremony that I was contractually obligated to partake in that I haven't felt nauseous. My bones ache and my heart sinks when I play it back in my mind. Borderline surreal to the point I almost try to pawn it off as a nightmare. But it was not. It must have been around 1 a.m. when a member of the management came to wake me. I was exhausted and in my older age, the random visit startled me quite a bit. I was given a garb and told to meet in the amphitheater in 20 minutes, and then he walked away ignoring my questions. There were strict rules regarding curfew, so this caught me very much off guard. Harlow was present, but I was intercepted by a man named Ben, who handed me three sheets of paper with lyrics on them. But not just lyrics, hymns laid out on sheet music, and I hadn't seen or sang off sheet music since I was a child. I asked if this was for tomorrow's performance. He told me no, it was for the ceremony. I was immensely disoriented by everything going on and by the time I was led into the amphitheater, my feelings of unease became unfathomable. As I made my way to the center stage, I observed staff hauling large pillars, arranging candles and setting up what looked like medical gurneys and other miscellaneous surgical tools. The rows of chapel seating were gone now and the entire floor was covered in these patterns, like sacred geometry type patterns if you know what those are. The room was now almost exclusively candlelit, but you could still see almost everything wall-to-wall clearly. Twenty-some-odd staff arrived with five elderly residents in robes and marched them to their gurneys where they were removed and left standing completely naked. In a frenzy of now what I know as fear and pure adrenaline, I called out to Harlow and demanded an explanation. I screamed that I would not partake or sing or be involved in whatever the hell this psychotic exercise was. It was at that point I felt a cold, clammy hand grip the back of my neck, and I surely recognized the smell that quickly followed, that damp, sweet rot that rolled out of Mr. Lubbock's throat as it vibrated out the words, Time to button up, Mr. Glass. It's showtime. Mr. Lubbock was hardly recognizable since I last saw him. I was aghast and my heart rate spiked. I played it off as best as I could when I told him I refused. Harlow walked in behind him with the typical semi-casual expression. Far too casual for this event. I told him no. I said no 50 times when Harlow placed her hand on my jaw and squeezed while holding eye contact with me and simply said that this was my job. The job that I willingly signed up for and have been getting paid handsomely to perform. Harlow's grip tightened and I felt my teeth touch and connect in ways they have never touched before, and she let go. I must have blacked out after Harlow and Mr. Lubbock gave me the choice to do my job or be left to their mercy as a direct violation of the contracts I so willfully agreed to. The band I recruited walked out on stage with a set of instruments I barely recognized. I could tell that this band I somehow thought I recruited was there on their own accord. The music that started to play hardly sounded like music. It sounded like faintly melodic rust being dragged through a forest, being slid over dirt, lathered in painful tones. Harlow and Mr. Lubbock were gone from eyesight, but I felt their presence. I approached the microphone with my hands, trying to stabilize the music I was holding, and and after one long deep breath, I began to sing their songs. 
as they went down the line one by one and started to dismember each elderly resident, using tools and blades and vice grips and methods of leverage to break and remove them from themselves. There was not one scream. And in my days, I recall the glee, the happiness I could make out on each one of their faces as their flesh was pulled from their bones, leaving only the heaping masses of torsos left on the gurney. The bloody mess of human chum was pushed into a pile in the center of one of these designs before they lit it on fire. My voice rang throughout this massive hellish room, setting the tone for this nightmare. And out of the shadow of the rear of the room, I could see a figure, only the torso, head, and what seemed to be a twisted mess of bone donned on top. This person had an escort and maneuvered through the gore like it wasn't there. The last thing I heard before I fainted was a growl, not like a normal growl, but a guttural bellowing growl as if the earth was accepting this minced pile of freshly shredded human. I woke up in the hospital roughly three days later. I was uh, dehydrated to the bone and suffered a cardiac arrhythmia. I was given no other information and was only accompanied by an envelope containing a check for 20,000 pounds. The day uh, after, upon my release, I, I took a cab back to Golden Acres out of fear that if I had not returned, I would be promptly dealt with. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't. I still can't. Golden Acres was gone. Nowhere to be seen. It was if, as if God himself reached down and plucked Golden Acres from existence. All I could see was dirt, freshly tilled dirt for at least 500 yards each way. All the information online was gone, even the information regarding Placeris. The contact information on my checks was just a forwarding line now, and I left immediately. I pissed away the money I made at Golden Acres within seven months of being unemployed, ingesting whatever substance I could to mask the memory of this place, and even my damn Alzheimer's can't rot away that part of my brain. What was there, Mr. Sims, was pure evil. And I have no other information to provide you. I partook in these events and I will bear that cross for eternity and will surely pay a debt in this life or the next. Dorian lights a cigarette and takes a long, long haul. And I must warn you, Mr. Sims, that the day before I was scheduled to come here, I began to smell that rot in my flat that I've been staying in. And I believe this was a warning not to come here today. And I am prepared to face the consequences for getting these whores off my conscience. In fact, I am highly anticipating the return of Mr. Lubbock. <laughs>